Thank you so much, Pastor White. Let me invite you to open your Bible to the book of Ruth in chapter number one. Ruth chapter number one, and we read this morning from verse six through verse number 10, an amazing story in the Bible. Of course, in Ruth chapter one, we were there in Sunday school, the story of a man named Elimelech. And choice after choice, he said, I do this my way and not God's way. Choice after choice to abandon the word of God. And, and now the Bible tells us everything has fallen apart. He is buried in a strange land. His boys have married pagan girls. Then they have died. And, and uh, my, this family is on the verge of extinction. So you have your Bible from Ruth chapter number one. We've read verses six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. And, and just before we go to the preaching of the Bible, would you join me in prayer? My Father, we ask your blessing upon the word of God to our hearts this morning. May our ears be open, may our hearts be attentive, and, and then, Father, I pray if someone in this room has never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, today would be the day they are saved. Oh, Father, for your people, we are in desperate need of you doing a mighty work in our midst, so we come to you for your blessing and your presence. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. In verse number six, the Bible tells us that the famine is over. I find it so interesting that the Word of God tells us, seeing as how God had visited the people uh, and the bread was flowing again, and it's not an interesting word, God visited his people. It's almost like the Lord said, all right, you've tried it your way for a long time, and, and let's just see if I can't pay you a little visit. Let's just see if you're ready to do this my way and you're ready to follow my word. The Lord didn't bless them. It says he visited his people in giving them bread. And so we pick up the story with a woman named Naomi who said, I am going to return to my homeland. Now that the famine is over, I guess I can follow the Bible again. And it's a fascinating moment in time in the Word of God. For the Bible said she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. So you follow the story this morning. The Word of God tells us three ladies are coming to the crossroads. I mean, this is the story of a woman named Naomi from Bethlehem, Judah. The story of two young ladies named Orpah and Ruth who are coming from the pagan land of Moab. And they have literally come to the crossroads of two nations. I mean, it's almost like there's one little sign with an arrow that says that way back to the land of Moab. Another sign with an arrow saying this way to the land of Bethlehem, Judah. And what we have in the Word of God is the story of some ladies that are about ready to say goodbye. Now, I'll tell you, folks, it's a good thing this morning this is the story of ladies saying goodbye. Because if this were the story of three men saying goodbye, well, there would be no book of Ruth, would there? I mean, the men would just shake hands. They'd say adios, and they would be on their way. But fortunately, the, the Lord made ladies with a little more class than he made us men. I mean, he made ladies with a, just this thing that we sometimes don't know about called emotions, you know, and, and believe me, this is a good thing. And these three ladies are trying to say goodbye. So this is not the story of three men shaking hands and they go their separate ways. No, the Bible tells us the ladies are trying to say goodbye. And of course, there's the goodbye speech in verse number eight, where Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grants you that ye may find rest each of you in the house of her husband. And the ladies are saying goodbye. And here is Naomi saying, Ruth and Orpah, you go back to your family. And you go back to your land. And you go back to your old friends. And, and most of all, you go back to your old gods and your old religion. 
it is time for me to go to Bethlehem. You two are going back to Moab. That's where the Bible says in verse number 9, she kissed them and they lifted up their voice and wept. Thankfully, these are ladies at the crossroads. You know, you can almost see the three ladies standing here and nobody wants to be the first one to break down. I mean, the lips are starting to quiver and the hands are starting to shake. And, and all of a sudden, Naomi comes up and she hugs Ruth's neck and Ruth hugs Orpah's neck and Orpah hugs Naomi's neck. And then the next thing you know, there's a group hug and, and nobody wants to be the first one to start breaking down. But sure enough, the Bible says that when she kissed them goodbye, that's when they lifted up their voice and they all began to cry. And in verse number 10, they said, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. You can almost hear Ruth and Orpah say, Come on, Mom, you can't go back there. You don't even know where the next meal is coming from. There's nobody to care for you. Your husband is long gone. Your boys are long gone. And there are no grandsons to take their place. There is nobody to provide for you. And there's nobody to put food on the table. And for a widow, we can't imagine how incredibly hard life would have been. You know, it was even after this day in New Testament times where the Lord Jesus told us how forget the pagan people, forget the most wicked people. It was the religious establishment. These people would devour widows' houses, and for a pretense, they would make long prayers. I mean, poor widows didn't know where the next meal would come from. You talk about a hard life. You talk about an impossible life. And you can see these young ladies, Ruth and Orpah, as they say, Mom, somebody needs to go with you. Somebody needs to help you. They say, surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And it is a classic moment in time in the Word of God. Two ladies named Ruth and Orpah are standing at the crossroads. Oh, the little sign says, this way to the land of Bethlehem, and this way goes back to the land of Moab. But you understand at this moment in time, the decision is much bigger than this. I, these two ladies, Ruth and Orpah, have got to decide, am I going to go to the land of Bethlehem? Am I going to return to the land of Moab? Why, in the land of Bethlehem, they bow their knee to Jehovah, the God of the Bible. Back in the land of Moab, they bow their knee to an idol, an image called Chemosh. I won't, I, I know some of you just got off of breakfast, some of you looking forward to lunch, and, and why in a Sunday morning, there is a description of the worship of Chemosh. In the world of religion, I don't know if there's ever been a worse religion than Chemosh worship. The stories are horrific. And what would be done to the little ones in the name of Chemosh? I mean, I won't bother you with the stories this morning. Suffice it to say, it would be hard to imagine a religion that was more dirty, a religion that was more pagan than the Moabitess god Chemosh. So now standing at the crossroads is a woman named Ruth and a woman named Orpah. And ladies, you have to decide, are you going to Bethlehem? Are you going back to the land of Moab? Are you going to bow your knee to Jehovah, the God of Israel? Are you going to join your people and bow your knee to Chemosh, the pagan idol of Moab? But you know, there's more here than it's what Naomi is expressing to these ladies. You know, ladies, if you come to the land of Bethlehem, there's no future for you. Uh, why, you don't seem to understand that, and constantly in the book of Ruth, we are reminded that Ruth is Ruth the Moabitess. We are constantly reminded of a racial component here. 
You don't seem to understand, ladies. A Moabitess is not welcomed in Bethlehem. Uh, you're not going to look like them. You're not going to talk like them. You have a different background. The people in Bethlehem do not trust the people in Moab. There have been divisions and battles that go on for centuries. And you can hear her, in effect, say, ladies, you don't seem to know. But if you go to Bethlehem, you'll never get a husband. There will never be a future. And one day you will be a broken and a whole and a hungry widow just like me. No, ladies, it is time for you to go back to your friends, go back to your family, go back to your religion, go back to the land of Moab. So you follow the story this morning. We have two ladies that are standing at the crossroads. The little sign says this way to Bethlehem and this way to Moab. But it's more than that. These ladies have a choice to make. Am I going to go the hard way but the right way to Bethlehem? Or am I going to go the easy way but the wrong way back to Moab? And you can watch these two ladies, Orpah and Ruth, as one by one they stand at the crossroads. They have to make the biggest decision they will ever make. What am I going to do with my life? Is it Bethlehem, Judah? Is it Moab? Am I going to serve the God of Israel, Jehovah? Will I bow my knee to Chemosh, the idol of pagan, God, uh, 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 pagan Moab? Do I go the hard way but the right way? Do I go the easy way but the wrong way? Right here and right now, these two ladies have a choice to make. So, Miss Orpah, you come first. You step forward now, lady. It is time for you to decide for the ages. Is it Bethlehem, Judah, or is it Moab? What are you going to do? The hard way but the right way, or the easy way but the wrong way? So we watch Orpah as she steps forward. Now, this is a powerful thing. Because we mentioned in Sunday school that in the Bible, names were incredibly significant. Oftentimes, names would almost be a nickname, as we might put on somebody later in life. And I do believe that's what we have here because the name Orpah literally means to be double-minded. The name meant the back of the neck. It's kind of the picture of somebody always looking over their shoulder, always wondering, what did I do? Always wondering and questioning, did I make the right choice? You know the great text in James, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I, the Bible tells us that double-minded people or people that cannot make up their mind, they cannot make a choice, and it is the story of Orpah. Because when you read Ruth chapter number one, it really is an amazing thing. When it is time for Orpah to decide, do I go to Bethlehem? Do I go to Moab? What am I going to do with my life? My friend, the thing about Orpah is that she never, never makes the wrong choice. I mean, it's not like Orpah comes up to her mother-in-law and grabs her by the coat and says, well, I have had it up to here with you, and I have had it up to here with your God, and I've had it up to here with your Bible. Get out of my life. And then she runs into the pagan land and bow down, bows down in front of an idol. It is not that Orpah makes the wrong choice. However... When you read Ruth chapter number one, Orpah never makes the right choice. When she is standing at the crossroads, there is the right way and the hard way. There is the easy way and the wrong way. And it is not that she begins to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. However, to be fair, it is not like Orpah begins to sing, I have decided to follow Chemosh. The problem with Orpah is that when she stands at the crossroads, she doesn't make the right choice. She doesn't make the wrong choice. 
Poor old Orpah never makes any choice. Bethlehem, Judah, or Moab, the God of Israel, or Chemosh, the hard way and the right way, or the easy way and the wrong way. I just can't decide. I just don't know. Poor Orpah never makes any choice. Now, look, my friends, I don't know if this is true about every young lady, okay? I have one daughter, and she's, she's old now, well, you know, relatively older and married and, and living in Arizona, and she's fine now. But, but when my little girl, Becky, was about yay high, if there was one thing that she had to be taught, I mean, it seemed to take forever. But, and, and look, I know my daughter is probably the only girl ever that had this disease, but poor little Becky couldn't make up her mind for anything. I mean, to tell you, poor little Becky, when she was yay high, we constantly had to get her to make her mind up about something. I, I, I'm sure she's the only girl ever like this. But, you know, I would take her into a little store, you know, a little gas station, a little convenience store. And I'd say, okay, Becky, uh, I, I got to pick up a few things, you know, maybe a 7-Eleven or whatever. And, and so, Becky, I got to get some things, so why don't you pick out a candy bar? And I would go and get what I had to get, and I'd come back, and my poor little girl, she was still standing in front of the candy counter. She couldn't decide. I mean, she would stand there all day, and I don't know what she was thinking, you know. M&M's or Skittles? M&M's, they melt in your mouth, not in your hand. That's good if I'm driving in the truck, you know. Skittles, it's like real fruit. It's like eating a banana or an apple. It's good for you. Three Musketeers, big on chocolate, low on fat. Nestle's Crunch, back then the official candy bar of the Vancouver Grizzlies. Could I bring that up? And she said, you know, I just can't decide. And poor little Becky would stand in front of that candy counter all day long. M&M's or Skittles, Three Musketeers or Nestle's Crunch. I'd sure like to. I'd sure want to. I sure need to. I sure ought to. And I've got to tell you, my poor little girl, well, she was pretty much like Warpa. When she was small, she couldn't decide. She'd stand in front of that candy counter and take forever trying to figure out if it was M&M's or Skittles. Say, my friend, when Orpah's standing at the crossroads, it's Bethlehem Judah or it's Moab. It's the God of the Bible or it's Chemosh, the pagan idol of Moab. What are you going to do with your life, Orpah? And do you know what Orpah says? M&M's or Skittles. I know I should. I know I ought to. I know I want to. I know I think I need to. The Bible tells us when she has to make the biggest choice in her life, Orpah chooses. So do you know what happens when you can't decide? Well, you go to verse number 11, and when Orpah can't make her mind up, it says, Naomi said, turn again, my daughters. And by the way, it's not the message this morning, but for those of you who love to study your Bible, you study that word turn or return in the book of Ruth chapter 1, and you'll come to an amazing thing. The Bible says, Naomi said, turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, return, she is saying. Turn again, my daughters, go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. When Orpah stands at the crossroads and she says, I know I should, I know I ought to, I know I need to, I know I want to, M&Ms or Skittles, I just can't decide. You know what happens? Ultimately, her mother-in-law steps in and she says, if you can't decide, then I will decide for you. And it's not like Orpah ever made the right choice. It is not like Orpah ever made the wrong choice. When she couldn't make any choice, 
Well, her mother-in-law said, go back to your family, go back to Moab, go back to your gods. You have to go. Happens all the time. When my little girl was standing in front of the candy counter, and Becky was trying to figure out, is it M&Ms or Skittles or Three Musketeers or what am I going to do right here? I mean, she would stand there forever, and, you know, ultimately, good old dad, the patience starts to wear out. So right about then, now I know I'm going to really date myself, but I am a grandfather, so I am dated anyhow. And, and, and I know there are people here, you're, you're not going to believe that this even existed. And, and I mean, this is, I know you might, might see it in a museum in Vancouver, but, but no, no, this really existed. You can Google it. It really is a real thing. In the old days, we used to wear this thing on our watch, a wrist called a watch. No, no, don't look at me like that. It was a real thing. And so we'd stand in front of the candy counter, and when I had enough waiting for Becky, I would take my watch off, and, and I'd hold it up, and I'd say, okay, Beck, here we go. And I'd start the countdown, 10, 9, 8. And my poor little girl, she'd start to quiver, you know. <laughs> Six, five, five. By the time I got to four, you could see the sweat starting to break out across her forehead. Three, two, and by the time we got down to zero, folks, one of two things was going to happen. You say, either Becky was going to get something, she's going to figure it out, or she gets nothing. Oh, no, no, no. This was my little girl. You can't do that with your little girl. If it was one of my two boys, you know, huh, you snooze, you lose. We're out of here. Get it right next time. But you can't do that with your little girl. So by the time the watch got down to zero, either Becky was going to figure out M&Ms or Skittles, but if she didn't, Dad was going to make the choice for her. When Ruth and Orpah stand at the crossroads of life and Orpah's got to decide, is it God, is it Chemosh, the right way, the hard way, the easy way, the wrong way, when she doesn't decide, her mother-in-law steps in for her. And my friend, I'm afraid it's the story for so many people that'll grow up in a ministry just like Grace Baptist Church. I mean, some young people that'll literally grow up in this local church in the Sunday school classes and the youth program right here in this building. I, they'll come to their senior year, and Brother White will say, well, you know, you're going to graduate soon, and, and maybe he'll say to some young lady, what are you going to do with your life? And, you know, that young lady says, well, you know, I know I should, I know I think, I know I ought to, I know I'd like to. M&Ms or Skittles, Pastor, I just don't know. And, you know, she graduates from school, and, and pretty soon some guy comes along and sweeps her off her feet. And, and before long, we get another story of a broken-hearted lady. I mean, there's some little ones, and I would guess that last night, last night right here in Surrey, B.C., that last night a young lady with maybe a baby, a little two little children, had to stand there in horror and watch her drunken husband stagger up the sidewalk one more time to beat his wife and beat his children until finally a young mother says, I just can't live like this anymore. I just can't stand this anymore. And all across our world, there are young mothers with precious little children, and they have thrown a husband away, thrown a daddy away, saying, we don't want that violence. We don't want to live that kind of life. But yet, if you could go back in time four or five or six years and find an 18-year-old girl graduating from school and saying, what is the goal and what is the plan for your life? My friend, understand, in the history of the world, there has never been one 18-year-old lady who said, it is the goal of my life to be miserable. It is the goal of life, my life to marry somebody that's going to break my heart. It's the goal of my life to live in a violent home until finally I have to rear some little babies and put food in their mouth all alone. No lady has ever set out with that as the goal of life. So my question this morning, hear me carefully, if nobody sets out to be miserable and heartbroken, if nobody makes it the goal and the intent of their life to throw it away, 
Why are there so many young ladies, so many young mothers with no future? Happens to guys all the time. A good kid. I don't mean some rebel. I don't mean somebody's always stirring up trouble, but a nice young man. And Brother White says, you know, you're a senior. What are you going to do with the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God? And a young man will say, well, you know, Pastor, I know I should. I know I think I ought to. I know I want to. M&Ms or Skittles, I just don't know. Well, he graduates, he gets a job, you know, things are going along pretty well. And, and then one night, uh, maybe a Friday night, some of the guys on the job saying, we're going to go down to the bar after work and, and uh, you know, we're just going to watch some hockey on TV. And, and the guy starts thinking, well, you know, I know I shouldn't be in that bar and I know I shouldn't be with that crowd. Oh, no, 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 no. We know, we know you go to church. No, 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 we know you're religious. This isn't going to hurt. Anyway, you don't even have to drink, you know. We, come on, we're just going to watch the game. And the guy shows up, you know, and he drinks a Coke and nobody dies on the way home. And that was kind of fun. And then it's the next week and then it's the next week. And then some, day, some, some week, a guy's got a birthday and they're going to have a toast. And come on, you can't have a toast with a Diet Coke. And after all, what's wrong with one beer? You know, one beer, kind of stopping at one beer is kind of like stopping at one piece of popcorn. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, every drunkard started out with one beer. It always starts out with one beer, and pretty soon it's two beers. And then it's two nights a week and three nights a week. And tonight our countries are filled with people who, like the Bible says, they wake up in the morning and drink till wine inflamed them. They're drunkards. Their life is controlled by booze. Others, their lives are controlled by drugs. So you and I live in a society inundated with liquor, inundated with drunkenness, inundated with drug abuse. But you know, the question is real simple, isn't it? In the history of the world, has there ever been an 18-year-old man who would look at their pastor and say, you know, pastor, the goal of my life and the dream of my life is to be a drunkard. Boy, that sounds like a great way to live. Nobody ever woke up one day and said, I think what I want to do is spend the rest of my life in jail. So, folks, we have to someday come to the question, if nobody plans to ruin their life, why are the jails full? If nobody plans to be drunkards, why are there so many drunks? If nobody intends to be a drug addict with a mind that's fried and shot, why are there so many lives that are absolutely ruined? Nobody wakes up one day and makes the conscious choice. Nobody says, it's the goal of my life to be miserable. It's the goal of my life to be wasted. It is the goal of my life to make a mess of things. So if nobody ever makes the choice, I want to ruin my life then one day we better wake up with some wisdom and ask the question, why are there so many ruined lives? And the answer is right here. Because they join Orpah at the crossroads, and when it is time to decide what will I do with my life, they say, I know I should, I know I want to, I know I ought to, I know I need to, M&Ms or Skittles. I just can't decide. The story of Orpah is not the story of a woman who made the wrong choice. The story of Orpah is the story of a woman who makes no choice. But if you notice at the end of verse number 14, there's another lady in our chapter, isn't there? When it's time for Orpah to step forward, and it is time for Orpah to make her mind up, Orpah says, M&Ms or Skittles, I cannot decide. But you will notice at the end of verse 14, and what a word it is in our English Bible, it says, but Ruth clave unto her. I understand the word cleave is one of the very rare English words. It is its own opposite. 
And what I mean by that is you can go to the meat man, the deli man, and he'll take that big cleaver and he'll cleave the meat and separate it in two. Or the word cleave can mean you put your clothes in the dryer, but you forget to put the bounce in with it, you know. And when you put the shirt on, it just clings to you. And so we come to the story, and that's pretty much what we have, don't we? Both definitions. We have Orpah cleaving and leaving her mother-in-law to go back to the land of Moab. But then Ruth is the young lady, well, you forgot the bounce. And she comes up and stands right next to her mother. She is clinging to her. And in one of the saddest verses in the Old Testament, she, that is Naomi, said to Ruth, Behold, thy sister-in-law is going back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. It's a heartbreaking verse. It's a tragic verse. And yet right on the heels of one of the worst verses in the Bible, if I could say it that way, comes one of the best. It is a moment for the ages. It is a classic moment in the Bible. It's kind of like when Moses stood in front of the people and told them to, that they had to make a choice. It's kind of like the day when Joshua said, choose ye this day. It's kind of like the apostle Paul saying, I am not ashamed. It's like those he, three Hebrew boys. They only talk one time in the Bible, but my, do they ever get it right. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us out of the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of the hand of the king. But if not... Be it known unto thee that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. My, they got it right for the ages. And that's what we get in Ruth 1.16. A lady is standing at the crossroads. Ruth, right here and right now, not tomorrow, next week is too late. Right here at this very moment, you have to decide what you're going to do with your life. Bethlehem, Judah, or Moab? The God of the Bible, Jehovah. The God of Moab, Chemosh. The hard way, but the right way. The easy way, but the wrong way. Ruth, what are you going to do? And my, does she ever get it right? I would encourage you, if you have never memorized Ruth 1, 16 and 17, to memorize Ruth 1, 16 and 17. I mean, you talk about loaded words. Notice what she said. Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or return from following after thee. Could I stop right there? Those are incredibly strong words. Those words, perhaps we don't read them as such, but when Ruth looked at her mother-in-law, she said the, what you're not supposed to say. I mean, she looked at the elder, and she basically tells her, could I use an American phrase, knock it off. She stands there saying, ma'am, I have heard enough of this. I have heard enough of you telling me to go. And in very strong language, she is pretty much putting a finger in the face of Naomi and telling her to stop and stop right now. And treat me not to leave thee or return from following after thee. And then comes the conviction. Watch it. She said, for whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. And most importantly, thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. What a decision. Standing at the crossroads of life. Ruth, what are you going to do? And Ruth said, excuse me, ma'am, but I have heard enough. I am tired of you telling me to go back to the old way of life. Back to the old crowd. Back to the old friends. She said, madam, let me explain it to you. I am going to go where God wants me to go. I am going to live where God wants me to live. The people of God are going to be my people. The God of Israel is my God. And this is for the rest of my life until I die. And then when you get to the end of verse 17, well, it's what we know in the Bible is an oath. And she said, the Lord do so to me and more also. She, it's like in our day, walking into a courtroom. I'll tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You know, when Ruth said that, she must have made some kind of signal.
I, I think probably what she did was something like this. The Lord do so to me and more also. If aught but death part thee and me. I am living for God. I am going for him. I am not going back to the old friends. I am not going back to the old way of life. I am doing this for the rest of my life. And if I ever fail my Lord, then he can just do so to me and more also. If aught but death part thee and me. So, madam, don't you tell me to go back to my friends. Don't you tell me to go back to the old way of life. And most of all, don't you tell me to bow my knee to the gods of Moab. I have decided to follow Jesus, and there's no turning back. I got to tell you, this is a great moment in the Old Testament. It is a singular moment in time where two ladies have come to the crossroads. They have to decide, am I going to serve God? Am I going to serve Chemosh? Am I going to go the hard way or the easy way? Am I going to go the right way or the the wrong way and one lady stands at the crossroads and we can hear her sing 3300 years later I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back and the other lady says M&M's are skipping I just can't decide not one makes the right choice and one makes the wrong choice one makes the right choice, and the other makes no choice. So the last we see, there is Orpah disappearing over the hill. I suppose she turns back and waves the final time. And, and in our imagination, if she did that, well, she is waving herself right out of the Bible, isn't she? But for that little lady who stood at the crossroad and said, I go where God wants, live where God wants, the God of Israel is my God, his people are mine, and this is for the rest of my life. You, you know, we do know a little bit about her story, don't we? Well, we know that in Ruth chapter 2 and Ruth chapter 3, she meets a gentleman named Boaz. And Boaz, you know, thump, 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 he said, wilt thou, she wilts, and they get married. And you pick up the story in Ruth chapter 4, verse number 13, where the Bible says Boaz took Ruth. That's a Bible way of saying they got married. Part of the wedding ceremony in Bible times is a husband-to-be would go to the home of the woman and take her to be in his house. It was part of the picture. So the Bible says Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And what do you know? When he went unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. So the Bible tells us that Boaz said, Wilt thou? She wilted. Then, you know, they got married, and one day, she said, guess what we're going to have in nine months? That's kind of a real good program. I know it's real complicated for the experts and the scholars and the politicians. But, you know, a he meets a her. One he, by the way, one her. He meets a her. His heart thumps, wilt thou, she wilts. They get married, and then guess what? They have nine months later. It's a really good program. And the Bible tells us they have a son. And what do you know? The neighbors gave it a, son, a name in verse 17 of chapter 4. And they called his name Obed. And little Obed grows up and his heart starts thumping in his chest. He says, wilt thou, she wilt, they get married. And one day Mrs. Obed says, guess what? We're going to have a nine months. And nine months later they bring a bouncing baby boy into the world and they call him Jesse. And Jesse grows up and his heart starts thumping in his chest. He says, wilt thou, she wilt, they get married. She says, guess what? We're going to have a nine months. Nine months later they bring a bouncing baby boy in the world. Then there's baby boy number two, three, four, five, six, and seven. And great granny Ruth, if she's still alive, and I can't stand here and say for sure she's still alive, but you can't sit there and say for sure she's dead. How about that? Great granny Ruth, I, and I just got this feeling she was alive. I could see her cracking that cane and saying, can't you give me one little great granddaughter? And what do you know? It's boy number eight. And when she pulls back the blanket, another boy. Well, he certainly is a handsome young man with his red hair and freckles probably, red hair for sure. And have you chosen a name for him? Sure have, great granny. We're going to call him David. 
Well, David grows up and his heart started thumping in his chest. Yeah, your heart be thumping in your chest if you were looking at a giant nine and a half to 12 and a half feet tall with 272 pounds, 13 ounces of armor on, and he wanted to deal with you. And you know the story. David took that stone and put it right there. The next thing you know, they're singing a song. David is slain his tens of thousands. And when they get to the second verse of that cantata, they're singing, there's a king in Israel, which means that the great-great-grandmother uh, great of the greatest king in world history until finally the Messiah comes was none other than that little lady standing at the crossroads. Now, what if we could go back to the crossroads and say, hey, Ruth and Orpah, before you make up your mind, let's put the screen down now. And see on that screen, see the picture of that king? That's King David sitting on the throne. That is King David who will be the greatest monarch in world history, and he's going to be one of your great-grandsons. You know, if the Lord had done that, those two girls would have been fighting like alley cats to be the first one into Bethlehem. But that's the thing about the crossroads, isn't it? No guarantees and no promises, because the just shall live by faith. Well, there's the little matter of the rest of the stories in there. Real quickly, turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter number 1. I know when you come to a chapter like Matthew 1, I know what you do. You get into all those begats, 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 and you put it on cruise control. I know you do that because I do the same thing. But, you know, that word begat is a great Bible word. The word begat means that he met her. His heart said, thump, thump, thump. He said, wilt thou, she wilted. They got married, and guess what they had in nine months? And so you pick up the story in verse number 2 where Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac begat Jacob. And what do you know? In verse 5, Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab. We know her also as Rahab. Boy, is that ever a story. Then the Bible says Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. 1,300 years later, God's given us the New Testament. And in the first chapter of the New Testament, there's Ruth. 3,300 years later, around the world, every country in the world's got a Bible. That Bible's got the story of Ruth. Around the world this morning, Sunday school teachers stood up and taught their young people the story of Ruth. Why, what an incredible story. The book of Ruth and the Bible, the story of Ruth in our hearts. And now in the New Testament, they're still talking about her. And in verse number 6, Jesse begat David the king. David the king begat Solomon. You know, this begetting thing really works good. If we just keep working it, it's going to work. I'll promise you it's going to work. I know it's a really difficult concept for the modern university professor, but this really works. And the Bible says Solomon begat Reboam, Abraham, Abiah, Abiah, Asa, Asa, Joshua, Joshua, Jerome, Jerome, Mosiah, Josiah, Jotham, Jotham, Aka, Zeke, 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 Manasseh, Manasseh, Naaman, Naaman, Josiah, 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 and the Bible says there's this little kid, Jacob. His, he grows up one day, and his heart starts thumping, wilt thou, she wilts, they get married. And then one day, Mrs. Jacob says, guess what we're going to have in nine months? And here comes a little guy, and they name him Joseph. One day, old Joe's heart starts a fluttering. He says, wilt thou, and she wilts, but before they come together in marriage, she's going to have a child. And there's Joseph thinking, I thought she was the godliest woman in the world. And look at this. Hey, she's going to have a child. Should I? Should I? And you can hear the religious establishment. It's stoner. Stoner! Stoner! And he said, no, no, I'll just put her away, divorce her privately. That's when the angel of the Lord said, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost which means the great, 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 great. You can figure out how many greats get in there later. The great, great grandmother of the Lord Jesus Christ was that little lady at the crossroads. What a story. 
That's why every time I read Matthew 1, verse number 5, it says, Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. You can't help but stop, and you have to stop and say, what a story. What a story about a mighty God and the mighty will of God. But every time I read Matthew 1, in verse number 5, I can't help but stop and think, what an amazing thing it says. But I also have to stop and say, what a thing it could say. How easily could Matthew 1, 5 read, Boaz begat Obed of Orpah. How close was that? So why does it say Ruth and not Orpah? Because when Ruth stood at the crossroads to make a choice, she said, I go where God wants, I live where God wants, I, He is my God, His people are my people, and this is for the rest of my life. And when Orpah stood at the exact same crossroads with the exact same opportunity, it is not that she made the wrong choice. It is, of course, not that she made the right choice. She said, M&Ms are skimming. I can't make any choice. Young people, mom, dad, it is not do we make the right choice or the wrong choice. We need to understand this morning that no choice is the wrong choice. And that's 10,000 times more true for the person here without Christ. There may be a man, you come here every week with your wife. You have listened to Pastor White preach dozens, maybe hundreds of times. You have listened to this pastor as he reaches out his hands and beg you to get saved. Here in this place, he's come to visit you in your house. And you always come up with the same thing. Oh, maybe one day, but just not today. You need to understand something about putting off Christ. See, let's suppose somebody in this building walks out the door angry this morning. They walk out into the parking lot and they shake their fist up at God and they say, I don't want you in my life. Get out of my life. Never bother me again. They use profanity and they curse the name of God. They get in their car and they drive away. If that man dies in his sleep tonight, he will die and be in hell for all of eternity with the curse of God on his lips and a shaken fist in his hand. But do you understand that if somebody sits here today and says, Pastor White, I know I need to get saved. One day I will get saved. A young person, a husband, a wife, I know I need Jesus. Just not today. And they die in their sleep tonight. They wind up in the same hell as the blasphemer does. Jesus said, if you're not with me, you are already against me. And we say, well, I have never shoved Jesus out. I have never shaken a fist at God. I have never cursed him. I've never thrown him out of my life. But he said, unless you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not saved. And the one who does not obey the Bible and believe on the Lord Jesus has the wrath of God abiding on them right now. No, you can walk out of here and say no to Christ for the last time, but you can also walk out of here and make no decision at all. But if you die without Christ as your Savior, be it somebody cursing him or somebody postponing him, it is the same judgment of hell for all of eternity. It is the reason why God pushes for a decision. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. If you're not saved, we plead with you to believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. I know in this room many know Christ as Savior. Well, Ruth and Orpah stand at the crossroads, and do they ever have a lesson for you and a lesson for me? Orpah, what are you going to do with the will of God? M&Ms or Skittles, I just can't decide. So Ruth, what are you going to do with the will of God? I go where he wants. I live where he wants. He is my God. His people are my people. And this is for the rest of my life. And 3,300 years later, we smile at the name of Ruth. She made the right choice. M&Ms or Skittles, it's time to decide.